Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of How to Save the Planet, the first one of 2020. Um, I'm Munna, here with you again, uh, your climate campaigner, here to wade through many issues that could be affecting you and I. Um, and I'm super excited to be joined by another brilliant co-host, Isabel, introduce yourself. Hiya, I'm Isabel, I work in the content and creative team working on video content. Nice. So... The new year and January can can be rough. I actually found out an interesting fact that Monday 20th of January is the most depressing day of the year. So you might be listening to this on the on the most depressing day of the year. I don't know how that makes you feel, but I can relate. Yeah, definitely. January can be tough uh, every year, but this year it has been uh, yeah a bit of a shock with all of the news around the world, just straight away from right early January of the fires in Australia, floods in Jakarta, just, yeah, every, everything seems a bit shook up at the moment. So I've, ha- I've got some friends who have lived in London but have moved to Australia, and just seeing their Instagram, just driving from one part to Australia, one part of an Australia, to another and just seeing yellow skies and this almost surreal dystopia they're living in where like families have to go out to a lake to avoid fires it feels both like really it feels really surreal and really personal sometimes we talk about this like we've got a podcast we talk about the climate but then to see like half or to know half a billion animals have been like affected in Australia that that to me is wild yeah yeah no it's really scary and like I think you sit here and sort of see it but you don't know what to do and um it can just feel like you're a bit lost of what knowing what to do and how to sort of how to change things really yeah which is why I think um eco-anxiety is the perfect word to describe what I'm feeling because you I feel anxious I feel worry you know even for my own future I mean I'm so I'm 20 I'm 26 um and the worry of being like oh my god like you know in 20 years time what would the world I live in look like so I'm really glad that for this episode we're focusing on eco-anxiety because I think it's just so relevant so how does eco-anxiety make you feel do you relate to that in any way yeah definitely and I I've only been working for Friends of the Earth for the last three months and before that it was sort of the the crazy hot summer we had when we're like in London sort of reaching temperatures that you'd never like imagined before and I like was feeling very anxious about that but then since since joining Friends of the Earth and being more sort of I guess uh deeper into the movement it, it ha- I have found like being here and talking to people and working towards it definitely helps. Nice and it's good to remember you are not alone and we are not alone today. We're talking to two great people who can give us very different perspectives on eco-anxiety. So one of them being Emma Beddington who recently published a piece covering the A to Z of A to Z. Oh my god am I American? I'm not American. Covering A to Z of uh, tackling eco-anxiety. And then we have Caroline Hickman, who is a psychotherapist specializing in climate psychology. And that's the first time I've ever heard of climate psychology. It's a new phrase to me. Let's kick off with our chat with Emma first. Hi, Emma. Welcome. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I think we're, Isabel and I are super excited to hear about your article and your journey with eco-anxiety. But before we begin, could you give us just a quick intro into who you are? So I'm Emma Beddington. I'm a freelance journalist. I work for mainly for The Guardian and The Observer. I also work for Sunday Times sometimes. Um, I'm a mother of two and I live <laughs> in lovely York. Nice. Okay, so let's talk eco-anxiety. So do you have any recollections of 
of a ping moment, the moment when it hit you and you thought, oh, this is something I need to deal with? So I think it already, there's always been like an underlying feeling. I mean, you can't not have some kind of sense of it, I think. And I had this sort of low churn of anxiety about the climate, about the environment for probably decades. But um, I did an interview this summer with uh, Professor Hugh Montgomery, who is... He's actually he's a researcher on, on sort of human biology. He's not a climate change specialist, but he is part of the NHS's um, group on climate change. And just as a sort of aside in an interview on a completely different subject, I was like, oh, you know, you're involved in sort of climate issues, aren't you? And, and uh, he ended up going on a sort of really detailed and interesting talk about what he thought, I mean, how bad he thought things were, basically. And he was saying he had two children who were sort of in their mid-teens, and he thought, and I was just graven on my memory, he said he thought it was highly unlikely they'd live past late middle age because of climate issues. And to hear it in such stark terms from a man who, who's a scientist, who is, you know, empirically minded, who's not particularly given to drama, was really shocking to me. And I think I came away from that meeting thinking, well, things are even worse than I thought. And, if, and he also said... Um, and I don't know anyone else who's working in this field who thinks differently. That is, that is really scary. That, Which is terrifying. Yeah, that's naturally going to give you anxiety around it. Is that, is that what inspired you to write, write your article about the eco-anxiety? Well, I think what happened was I discussed it with my editor when I came back because I was just reeling, actually. It was just of that whole interview. I mean, he was talking about a book he'd written. It was a completely different topic, but that was what stayed with me. And that was where the idea for the article came from. Yeah, and I think we can all relate to moments when we've when it kind of kickstarts the spiral of eco anxiety. So my own moment was I was with these Australian campaigners, and they were just talking in such kind of harsh terms of don't even build any more playgrounds. We need to just get acting on the climate crisis, which I was like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Children can't have playgrounds. What is <laughs> what is happening here? Um, and I, d- I don't know if you, if you have a similar moment, Isabel. Well, I think like, like what you're saying with the hot weather in the summer, I think that's when it does really hit home. You can actually start imagining what it would be like. It's definitely food for thought. Okay, so you've gone to your editor. Like, I'm going to write this A to Z through that process. Was there anything you learnt um, and, and kind of did it teach you anything? So firstly, I'd say never in my life would I volunteer to do an A to Z. It is a devil, the devil's work. You never <laughs> want to do an A to Z list of anything as a journalist because there are always going to be those letters that you're just yeah, nightmarish. Anyway, I thought the topic was really interesting. I was definitely up for doing it. I found it. It was probably one of the hardest things I've written um, because of having to confront some of the realities that maybe I had been avoiding. So it was very difficult and I was quite anxious while I was writing it. But there were quite a few things that I thought I found that were helpful. I think there are two ways. The two ways that you can deal with eco-anxiety in a way are linked. You can do something that helps and you can do something that makes you feel better. And often those two are in fact the same. But you know, they're sort of interconnected. So, but the things that personally helped me deal with the way I was feeling, I think, were I talked to a couple of nature writers. And I don't have a garden, but I have got a little tiny outside concrete space. And both of them were suggesting ways where I could sort of bring more, bring more wildlife into my tiny, tiny, tiny square of concrete, basically. Uh, and it gave me a real 
a really positive sense of something. I was doing something that was actually making me feel a lot better and also in some ridiculously tiny, pathetic way, but it was kind of helping local wildlife. And those were very nice. That was So Emma Mitchell, she's written a really, really nice book, which is about how wildlife is good for depression. Uh, another big theme that came out from the people I talked to was, was group action. Yeah. Group action, and in fact, not just action, but in fact, just being in a group. Um, and that it's not an individual pathology or problem, being anxious about the climate. It's, it's a collective thing. It's something that we're all in and involved in. Yeah, it'd be weird not to be worried. Sure, exactly. Um, but it can feel quite isolating, I think. And certainly I talked to some of the... Um, I talked to Jake Woody, who's one of the people who's involved in the sort of youth climate strikes. Yes, yes, yes. And um, he described it as potentially being quite an isolating feeling, being anxious and perhaps not being surrounded by other people who are experiencing the same anxiety or who aren't expressing it. Yeah. And those sort of group actions are very comforting in that way because, you know, you're, the, way you're being feel, the way you feel is being validated and reinforced and you're seeing that you're not sort of mad in the corner ranting about the end of the world yeah, that exactly. you know that this is real and it's shared so did in a way like the research for that article did that make you feel better from like talking to a lot more people about about eco-anxiety and about the state of the world it did in some ways i, I mean clearly we're in a bad place there's there's no point pretending we're not in a bad place but I, what I liked, I talked to um, a researcher at Imperial College. She's actually, she's actually more on the sort of psychology side. And she had this really sort of nice thing that she said, which was, there's never, there, there's always branching paths. However bad things get, you can still make it better. And, and I like that as an idea. It made me feel that you can feel things are really futile when, when things are so bad. You can feel that the tiny, tiny things you're doing aren't making a difference yeah. and actually what she was saying was you know collectively taken together all those tiny things are going to make a difference and you can always make it a, a bit better and we can correct the course you know we're in a pretty bad place but but it doesn't need to get worse essentially yeah. and it can get better in some ways you're always balancing because i, I think fundamentally whenever i think about eco-anxiety it's just trying to remember the positives of where we are and that can be quite hard to do without the positives i don't think i'd be inspired as a campaigner because you do ask yourself the question you know what are, you know what are we fighting for and the reality is we are still fighting for so much and there is that kind of added layer of being in the UK, um, though we are starting to feel the effects, we are, we are shielded, yes, um, and, it, and it won't be us fe kind of feeling the hardest impacts. Um, so all those, those different things are kind of playing in my mind. Um, and if you could think, Emma, w kind of one piece of like hope or practical action that you think would be great for someone listening now, someone who I think does want to do something or just you know, oh, I'm stressed right now, what can, I, what can I do, say? One of the really good things you can do is just use your voice, actually get involved in some way. And it's so, so easy to sit at home and just you know, worry yourself into a spiral of misery. And actually, there are so many ways you can get involved. You could just lobby your MP, just write to your MP, check your MP's voting record and, and lobby your MP. Quite a, few, quite a bit of feedback on the piece where people were, well, why are we being told, to, you know, we're being told to do all this, but actually government is the real the real culprit here which clearly is true mm. and what i say then is well yes but then go out and do something about it get involved yeah. just, just make their lives a misery until things change because that's the only way things are going to change excellent yeah and then through all those things you can actually meet like-minded people by uh, going to sort of your 
local groups and stuff. Yeah, and I think that gives you a bit of optimism for the future when you see other people are feeling the way you are and have ideas and sort of, you know, ways of, ways of dealing with it. It was so great to speak to Emma. I hope you felt the same. Now let's head to our chat with Caroline Hickman, a psychotherapist who really is going to delve into, I guess, the emotional aspect of eco-anxiety, how that can make us feel on a day-to-day basis and some of the tiny things that we can do to overcome that. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yay. So, um... I might be out of the loop, but this is one of the first times I'm hearing climate psychologist. Maybe I've just been left out of the WhatsApp group chat. I don't know. But could you just give us a bit of intro on who you are and what it means to be a climate psychologist? Yeah, absolutely. Um, climate Psychology Alliance was established about nine years ago. And we're a mix of psychologists, psychotherapists, psychoanalysts, but also artists, writers, researchers, Anyone who's interested in bringing a psychological understanding to help us deal with the climate and biodiversity crisis. We we like to talk of ourselves as sort of climate-aware psychotherapists, climate-aware psychologists. So we we don't perceive ourselves as necessarily having the technological solutions. We can support that whole process of how society engages, because let's face it, we've had the solutions technologically to the climate emergency for decades and not acted on them. And uh, okay, you can go to political economic reasons for that. We can look at colonialism. We can look at all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. But also there's something deeply embedded there about the human nature and about our capacity to make change and our capacity to believe what's right in front of our eyes and, and to deny it and disbelieve it because it's really hard to imagine. So how did you, did you just fall into this? Was it, did you have your own aha moment about kind of the climate crisis and then that influenced your work? I've had a few sort of wake-up moments. I mean, I think as a child, I was always quite engaged with the environment and spent most of my life out of doors and hanging out with trees. And and then I, I didn't really completely lose it, but I think as you go into adult life, you, it kind of moves from the centre of your life. And then I trained in psychology and psychotherapy and counselling and social work. My original background was social work. And I started to get interested in how that impacted on people's well-being, people's mental health, p- particularly people, for example, living in poverty or struggling with, with other really difficult problems living in the inner city. And then I moved into psychotherapy, and then I had what I like to call my fabulous midlife crisis, or one of them, anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, and I trained to be a diving instructor, because I was a scuba diver. And so I was suddenly spending a huge amount of time underwater. And so although I was environmentally aware before that, suddenly I was seeing it differently and seeing the impact of coral reefs and seeing the degradation of the marine environment. So that was where it started to all join up. Um, And then I started to do research with children around climate change. The last five years I've been researching with children, asking them how they feel about climate change. And how old are these children? Any age from the age of five up to young adults in, in their sort of early to mid-twenties. I wanted to talk to them about how they felt because there'd been lots of research done about the impact on, on children. Yes. And uh, particularly around well-being and physical health. But there hadn't been much research about how they felt. And we need to know how children feel because they don't screen their feelings. You know, they'll tell us what it's like. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you have two children sat at the table and you give one a bigger piece of cake than the other, they're not going to sit there sweetly. You know, they're going to be going, that's not fair. And I thought, well, 
actually, what's behind a lot of our feelings about the climate crisis is it's not fair. That's like hit the nail for me. That's really hit the nail on the head. This is getting, I'll get, we can get personal, but when I, yeah, it's it not fair is, is a really big one. And I guess one that obviously drives my personal eco-anxiety mm. as well, particularly around travel, I'd say, because I think we all, you're, when you're young, you're like meant to go see the world. You're meant to see all these wonderful things and have these, you're on a gap year, you're like experience different cultures. But now because of things that have been done by previous generations, we haven't been afforded that opportunity, you know, because I'm, I'm conscious of my carbon footprint, of course, which is, which is a positive thing to do. But it means almost like our hands are tied and we just don't have the options and the luxuries. I wonder if it's worth dialing it back because... In my head, I have some sort of definition of anxiety, but is it worth just really kind of clarifying specifically how you define eco-anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, of course, yes, there is the relationship with, if you like, ordinary anxiety, um, but you don't want to sort of to define these things too rigidly either because it, it really is defined by the individual. Ordinary anxiety is always about something being fixated on outside yourself and you think it's that that's making me anxious, whether it's flying, whether it's driving, whether it's sitting in an exam, whether it's having a conversation with someone that you don't want to have, you're going to feel this sense of anticipation and anxiety, and you're going to link it to a specific thing outside yourself. The va- and this is normal. We all feel this every day. The vast majority of the time, with the majority of anxiety, as soon as you engage with the thing that's scaring you or you get beyond it, the anxiety goes away. Eco-anxiety is this anxiety and this fear projected outwards and forwards, specifically around environmental disaster and specifically around environmental doom and the fact that how are we going to survive a planet that is collapsing around us? One of the other things that I think is unique and makes it slightly different to other anxieties is it's shared. So it's collective Mm. and it's social Mm. and it's global. So there isn't anywhere on the planet that is exempt from the impact of the problems that we're facing environmentally. I think this really goes back to what you were talking about, the kind of external internal activism, eco-anxiety, even just... It could be from the tiniest things of reading a headline. You're like, and I've done it with loads of other issues, not just about the environment. We're like, oh, this is too big to process. I'm just going to skip past this because I can't do anything about it. I'm one person. Let me just turn it off. Exactly. So what eco-anxiety is doing is it's waking you up to your vulnerability. Now, the good news, if if I can put it that way, is you're only feeling that because you're an empathetic, compassionate person. Climate anxiety means that you care. So I know it might hurt and I know it might be scary, but my real advice is don't be scared of it. Find out what it's about and then do something with it. Don't try and get rid of it because it's not a mental illness. It's a sign that you care. And that in itself is of real value and that will show you the way forward. And then talk with other people about how anxious they are and then talk with people like us, listen to these podcasts, get advice from podcasts. Listen to these podcasts. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Caroline, what would you say to someone listening to this podcast now? They're feeling the eco-anxiety. Do you have any kind of, kind of immediate or practical tips um, that they can use to, kind of to put into practice to really help them along that journey? Um, I think there are some sort of easy-to-remember things that you can use. One is uh, when you're scuba diving, if you get in trouble underwater... 
there's a sort of mantra that you're taught, which is stop, breathe, think, act, right? Because you have to stop what's going on, stop the panic, remember to breathe, then you can think, then you can act. I kind of would take that and add to it a little bit here and say, stop. First and foremost, stop what you're doing because you're panicking. Where we, feel, we go into eco-anxiety when we feel threatened by something that's coming at us, usually from we perceive it as coming from the outside. And we go into a kind of fight, flight, freeze response. So we first of all think, can I fight this? Then we think, can I run away from it? And then we freeze if we can't do either of those two things. We've already talked about the fact you can't run away from climate change, although you can go into denial. You can certainly go out and fight in terms of activism, but you have to do that sort of grounded in reality. But watch out for those defences, but be kind to your defences because they're si signalling to you that something might be threatening to overwhelm you. So be gentle. So stop, be nice to yourself, be gentle. Next. Then breathe. Remember to breathe, right? Then start to think about this. And if you can re-engage your capacity to think about it, why am I feeling so anxious? Are my anxieties out of perspective? Is it what's going on outside? Or is there something going on inside that I need to think about? As soon as you can have that conversation, then you can find a way through that and reflect on that. Then you need to connect. You need to connect with other people. You can connect with groups, support groups. We, at the Climate Psychology Alliance, we've been supporting people in setting up climate cafes where they get together once a week over tea and cake and talk about how they're feeling, what they want to do about things. So they're listening to other people, and that it lets you feel that you're not alone. And they also are coming up with practical ideas and supporting each other and taking action. I think, yeah, connecting with people that, have, that share similar... Uh, the anxiety and sort of aware of what's going on definitely helps because I before coming to this job I was in um sort of I'd go to climate protests but not sort of talking about it or taking action on it every day and it really sort of doing stuff and being with people that are taking action showing sort of having some hope around it as well I think it does really really help <laughs> So, Isabel, how did you find that? We've had two very different perspectives on eco-anxiety. What are your thoughts? Talk to me. So interesting. Like, I think, I think sort of, yeah, sort of learning the sort of daunting feeling not to push away from it and what Caroline was saying about sort of, like, it's natural to feel that, so to sort of, sort of lean into it and feel it, but then also the sort of that there are there is action that we can take and the sort of the hope that that can bring and the positivity from from group action that we can get. Yes, yeah, so I think actually groups and kind of group spaces is my biggest takeaway from speaking to both Caroline and Emma. But I just think it's a space where you can feel heard and be seen um, and in doing so are actually fighting for local and national change. It's essentially to stop the source of your own anxiety. Just a double win that you'll get, yeah. yeah. Learning to live with your anxiety but also doing something good out of it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So for me, it, our kind of group spaces are our climate action groups um, and our climate action groups are a space, a uh, local space where you can organise around the issues that really matter to you. You can join a climate action group or start your own. Um, and the unique thing for me anyway, when we talk about our climate action groups is you fight for your kind of local issues, your better public transport, kind of better nature. But then you come together as this like wider network to fight for big systematic change and making sure that the government does what it needs to do so if you're interested about finding some more information about our climate action groups you can head to takeclimateaction.uk 
I think that's it from us, Isabel. Brilliant. So interesting. Fab. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.